0: We left Noah and his family and a myriad of living and breathing creatures locked in the ark during the worst storm that the world has ever seen. God opened the windows of heaven and the fountains of the deep and it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. The waters kept rising for 150 days. The ark floated on the waves, being taken wherever the wind and the currents would take them. You see, that ark was not built to navigate. It was just built to be a floating house for one's mathematician figures about 125,000 animals and the family of eight, Um, and all the birds and all the insects that rode along on the animals. It was a full boat. The ark was built to be the only safe place on the planet when God poured out his wrath against the sin of mankind. God said, the, They become so evil, their thoughts are evil continually. I am going to start over. We are left to our imaginations as to what it was like for those eight people in the ark along with all those animals. Now a number of you, a number of us have been on cruise ships where you had a steward to make your bed. You had somebody to serve you meals. You didn't have to cook a thing. Everything was provided. It wasn't one of those kind of cruises. They were the crew. I can only, no, I not even want to imagine the fragrance of the air. It was not a weekend trip. It was not a month-long trip. They were on the ark for one year and 10 days. all closed in. It appears that there was one window and one door and God shut the door and it appeared they had to wait for God to open the door. And they they did have around the top, it appears that they had an open vent, but that was it. Have you ever considered how much time they spent in total darkness on that boat? There was no electricity. And the only opening was one window and the vent around the top. And what about the spiritual and emotional ramifications? Every breathing thing that is not in the ark is going to die. It says, Noah was a righteous man. He would not have been inclined to be thinking while he's inside that ark. Served them right. They should have listened to me. They got what they had coming. Noah, as a righteous man, would have been wondering, why me? Why wasn't I destroyed with the rest of them? Why are we the only ones left? You say, where did you come up with that? Have you th- consider the life of Paul? When he was Saul of Tarsus, he thought he was the most perfect man walking the earth. He said, in matters of the law, I was blameless. I kept all of those laws. But then he met Jesus. You remember what he said at the end of his journey? After writing 13 books of the Bible, he didn't know it was about the Bible, but those 13 letters that God said they're part of the Bible. He said, Timothy, here is a saying that's worthy of all acceptance. Jesus Christ died to save sinners, of whom I am chief. No other righteous man could have been overwhelmed by the grace that God had shown. At the same time, he could have been overwhelmed with the task that had been given to him once the storm was over. God has spoken to him, He said, the, "The flood is coming 120 years. When the next time we see or hear God speaking to him is 101 years is up, and He said, "Noah, time to get on the boat. In seven days it's going to rain." In seven days, God closed the door and secured it for the voyage. Nowhere do we see God saying, Noah, you're going to be on the boat for." 375 days. We don't read anywhere where God talked to him while they were on the ark during the storm. I wonder if anyone else has experienced one of life's storms. And I'm not talking about hurricanes or tornadoes. I'm thinking about those moments when you get the diagnosis from the doctor and it's a C word. Or they tell you your heart's beyond repair. Or how about the storm of unexpected financial setbacks because everything breaks down at the same time. Or that relationship that you thought was so good and right suddenly fractured beyond human repair. During those kinds of storms, has anyone else ever had this thought? Has God forgotten me? Has God turned his back on me? We're tempted to be like the disciples in the boat with Jesus during the storm on the Sea of Galilee when Jesus was sleeping and he awakened, they awaken him, Master, don't you care that we're about to drown? Feeling forsaken is a common human emotion that most of us have felt at least once. The psalmist wrote in Psalms chapter 10, it's on the screen, it's not in your notes because it ran out of paper. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Have you ever sang that song to the Lord? Where are you? Paul, Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we wanted to die. We despaired of life itself. There was that moment when Jesus Himself experienced the emotion of being forsaken for me. When in Matthew 27, 27, 46, He cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Feeling desolate or forsaken is one of the common temptations we all face. It's with those thoughts in mind I want to read the first five verses of Genesis chapter 8. Verse 1 says But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark, and God made a wind blow over the earth, and the water subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heaven were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month of the seventh day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the top of the mountains were seen. But God remembered Noah. Chapter 7 ended with everything being covered with water. Everything that was living and not in the ark, had died. Only eight people left. But God remembered Noah. Now what does that mean? Does that mean that God had become so preoccupied with the things going on there that he forgot about Noah and and, and the ark that he just totally slipped his mind? Then we get to be... You know, there's been a time or two I put something in the toaster, and then 30 or 40 minutes later, I remembered oh, there's something in the toaster. Good thing the toaster goes off by itself, huh? Did God just, oh no, I forgot all about him. I want you to know this God never forgets his people. God never forgets his people. Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you even until the end of the age. There's this passage of Scripture that the Lord is speaking to Zion, to Judah, the people of, uh, of Judah, the covenant people. They said, God has forsaken us. And God refutes that claim, and he says this in the 15th verse of Isaiah 49. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hand. God said, I've engraved your name on the palm of my hand. You remember in middle school when you had a girlfriend or a boyfriend and you wrote their name on everything, including your hand? God loves you to that degree that He's written our names. God never forgets His people. So if God doesn't forget, then what does it mean that He remembered Noah? Remembered in this case implies to fulfill a promise and act on behalf of somebody. It means it implies... I'm gonna fulfill the promise that I've made. I'm gonna act on your behalf. God is now going to act specifically for Noah in this situation, according to the promise that he had made to him 120 years before when he told him to build the ark. God remembered Noah. To my mind, as I typed that yesterday or last night, whenever it was, sometime in the last 24 hours, to my mind came Paul's words in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 and I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ he who began a good work he will complete it he is the author and the finisher of our faith the writer Hebrews said 1979 the Imperials sang a song the verse first verse went this way. There are some promises in a letter written a long, long time ago. They're not getting older. <clears throat> they're getting better because he still wants us to know he didn't bring us this far to leave us. He didn't teach us to swim to let us drown. He didn't build his home in us to move away. He didn't lift us up to let us down a song that was written to remind people who are saying, God, where have you gone? That he's not gone anywhere. He's still there and he's at work. Jesus will complete the work that he started in you the day that you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So God remembered Noah and began to act in his behalf according to the promises that God had made to Noah before. God remembered. We see that phrase over and over in the scripture. In Genesis 18, we find God visiting Abraham in the form of a man along with two angels who also appear to be men. God see, or Abraham sees three men coming. And evidently he senses that these are somebody because he says, sit down and I'm going to fix you a meal. And while they're having that meal, God begins to share with him that Abraham, when I come back here a year from now, Sarah will have a given birth to a son. Remember, she's inside the tent and she hears that. Now she's only 89 years old. And um, the scripture said she was past the time of all of that stuff. It was hot flashes every day and, and all of that stuff. now, remember, God had made the promise to them 25 years before that, 24 years. And God said, I've, I've come for two reasons. I've come to tell you that you're going to have a son. And when the Lord got up with the two men and they're ready to leave, and the Lord began speaking to the angels and said, I think we should tell Abraham because he's the one I've chosen to be a blessing to all the nations of the world. I need to tell him what we're we're here to, we've come to see firsthand what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. We've heard it in heaven. And if what we see is what we've seen and what we've heard is the same as what we see when we get here, we're going to wipe those cities off the face of the planet. And remember, Abraham says, Lord, if there's 50 righteous, will you save the cities? Yes, 40, yes, 30, yes, down to 10. Unfortunately, they could not find 10 righteous people in the city of Sodom. Couldn't find 10 people who lived in the fear of God. It had been placed by self-gratification, perversion, You can read the story of fire falling from heaven, destroying those cities. But look what the Bible record says about the event when it was all over. Genesis 19, 29. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and set Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. God remembered Abraham acting on his behalf, saving his nephew from the destruction of that city. When it says God remembered, it means God moved in his behalf. God answered his prayer to the best degree that he could. And Lot and his children left, and his wife. And you know, she turned around and looked back and turned to pull herself. Psalms 105 is a song of thanksgiving, specifically recalling God's miraculous intervention and deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt. Twice in the song, the writer speaks of God acting on behalf of Israel because, well, look at verse 20, 42. For he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. He remembered, Ab- he brought them out of Egypt because he remembered Abraham. The promise he made to Abraham, and he acted on it. Though Abraham had been dead for four centuries, God had made a covenant with him. He did not forget that covenant and suddenly say one day, oh. Rather, God remembered Abraham and acted on the promise at the perfect time. God remembered Abraham and acted on the promises at the perfect time. God is always on time. And it's not necessarily our time. In fact, more often than not, it doesn't even come close. Genesis 29 and 30 we find a true story that would make a wonderful script for a daytime soap opera if you're into all kinds of drama. It is the tale of the rivalry of two sisters married to the same man. It's the story of Jacob's two wives, Leah and Rachel. You remember Jacob never wanted Leah to be his wife when he got to the land of his uncle Laban and he saw uh, Rachel, he fell in love. He was hit so hard with his infatuation that he made a deal to work for Laban for seven years for the hand of his daughter in marriage. The day of the wedding, everything goes off without a hitch. They consummate the wedding that has taken place. And when the lights come on, when the sun comes up, he discovers he's been married to Leah, the older sister, the one with weak eyes. And I don't know what that means other than the fact she probably was not nearly as good looking as Rachel. Jacob is so disappointed, but so infatuated with Rachel that he agrees to work another seven years to marry both daughters. You see, Laban says, you can't have the youngest daughter first. That's not the right, that's not the custom. So he ends up with both of them. And the competition began. And God opened Leah's womb, and she had a son, and a son, a son, and a son. She had four sons. And Rachel has none. Rachel goes after Jacob as, like it's his fault. And then she comes up with the idea, take my handmaiden, Seems like that happened in the family tree someplace way back in Abraham and Hagar. Take my handmaiden. And the handmaiden has a son and another son. And then Leah sees that so she has her handmaiden and that handmaiden has two more sons and Jacob has all these sons and now he's got four mamas to take care of. And then the miracle happened. Verse 22 of Genesis 30. Then God remembered Rachel. God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. God remembered Rachel. And she gave birth to the son that God would use to preserve the family of Abraham in the time of great drought and famine. The son that God would use to be the source of blessing to his brother and to his father. Rachel had been barren for years, but God remembered her and acted on her behalf. The note I want you to see is this. God remembered Rachel and answered her prayer. And answered her prayer. God listened to her and opened her womb. If you turn a few more pages to the right in our Bibles, we find the story of another man and two wives. And that never worked out well. In 1 Samuel, we read the story of Elkanah and his wives, Hannah and Peninnah. Peninnah Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Same story before. Which is something that Peninnah took great delight in pointing out to Hannah to provoke her grievously and to irritate her. That's what the scripture said. She took delight in irritating this other wife. Her rival is the way the scripture talks about it. To not to be able to bear children was seen as a curse of God upon a woman in that day. The writer of 1 Samuel tells us the story of OK, now taking his family to Shiloh every year to offer sacrifices and worship God. And when they offered their sacrifice, the particular sacrifice, they offered part of it was for the family to eat. And he would always give Hannah a double portion, but she chose not to eat on this particular time. Instead, she went next to the house of the Lord, and there she knelt down, and she began to weep before the Lord and to pray. First Samuel 1.10 says this, She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. She prays, but in her prayer, you forgot me. You forgot me like we've all thought but that wasn't the case Eli the priest was watching her and because she was just moving her lips and not talking out loud he thought she was drunk and, and she, she responded no 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 I'm stone sober I'm a woman pouring out my heart and great anxiety and vexation before the Lord Eli blesses her Go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition you have made to him. Verse 19 says this. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to the house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son and she called him Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Again, God or remembered Hannah and answered her prayer. Don't quit praying. In case you're not catching up before I'm going with that, don't quit praying. In the days we are feeling desperation alone, don't quit praying. The rest of the story is Samuel became the last judge in the time of Judges in Israel. He served as priest. He served as prophet, spiritual leader for a long time. He's the one who anointed the first king of Israel, Saul. And then he anointed David to take Saul's place. Pastor Matt Woodley says that there are 73 times that we read God remembered in the Bible. I didn't take time to try to find them all, so you can check up on Pastor Matt and see if he said that's true. But I want to point out one more this morning. In the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, let's look at what Moses wrote in the last couple of verses of chapter 2. And God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. God remembered his covenant and he began to fulfill his promise. He remembered his covenant. God's a covenant making God and he always keeps covenant. He remembered the covenant. The people were groaning. What people? Jacob's family, the Israelites. They were living in Egypt as slaves. 400 years before, they had gone down to Egypt at the invitation of the Pharaoh and given the land of Goshen. There was 70 of them then, but remember, Joseph had been sent ahead when he was sold by his brothers into slavery. And through the series of events, God elevated him to be the man in charge of all the food supply for the land of Egypt And people came from everywhere in the Middle East during that famine to find food because God had told him what the dream was all about and how to save that food. But now 400 years have passed. The pharaohs have forgotten who Joseph was. All they know is now that there's a couple of million, maybe three million, maybe even more of these Israelite people and afraid that they're going to take over the land of Egypt, they turn them into slaves, making bricks from straw and clay. And it just gets worse and worse as the days go by. And they're crying out for deliverance. They're crying out for deliverance. And God remembered His covenant. And it's interesting, Genesis 15, 13, 14, this is where God is making covenant with Abraham. This is part of the covenant. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. God remembers means this, God will keep all his promises. God will keep all his promises. Exodus chapter 3, that's the call of Moses to go to Egypt and lead the Israelites to the promised land. God did bring them out of Egypt. And when they left the land of Egypt, you know what their neighbors did? They brought them all their silver and their gold and all their fine treasures and said, take it and go, take it and go. And they went away, wealthy people. They went through the Red Sea on dry ground, and then they saw God destroy the Egyptian army in that same Red Sea. When God remembers, it means he's going to bring to fruition the promise that he has made to you, that he's made to us. God remembered Noah, back to our text. God remembered Noah, and at least three things he did. God removed the water from the land. He removed the water from the land. Verse 1 said, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts of livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. It didn't happen in a moment. It took five months. God dried out the earth the best way possible. Because God always does things the best way possible. He made a wind to blow and the waters subsided. I have no idea what Moses was thinking when he wrote this account in Genesis. But it's very interesting to me when he said God made a wind to blow, that he used the very same Hebrew word that you find in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. It says, There the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Spirit of God. Spirit is the same word as wind. Wind and spirit are the same word. Last Sunday, we talked about the fact that the flood was a deconstruction of the planet. Things returned to the way they were when God spoke it into existence. When he said everything was void, God moved on the face of the waters. And the spirit, or the wind of God, moved and the planet began to take shape. After the flood, the wind began to blow, the spirit of God began to bring life again and the waters moved back into the confines that God had marked out for them on day two of creation. The rain stopped. The sun melted away the clouds. Plants began to grow. When God remembers, He often does it with a burst of power. A burst of power. Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, they were in the upper room. Somewhere in Jerusalem, when suddenly there came the sound of a, a what? Mighty rushing wind. Do you remember how God opened the Red Sea? God caused the wind to blow and it parted the waters. Acts 2, a mighty rushing wind, the sound came in and tongues of fire set on them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Do it again. Do it again, Lord. Let the wind blow into your house. Let the power of the Holy Spirit Revive the hearts that have been cast down in discouragement. Let the wind of the Holy Spirit fan the embers of our first love for Jesus Christ and it becomes impassioned again to love Jesus, to live for Jesus. Hymn writer, the 1800s, the end of the 1800s. He wrote, oh, Lord, send the power just now. Oh, Lord, send the power just now. Oh, Lord, send the power just now and baptize everyone. God remembered Noah. God gave him a sign. God gave him a sign. Verse 6 says this. At the end of forty days Noah opened the window of the ark that he made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark and she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still in the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the, ark, or forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him any more. What I read in this story is Noah's vision of the newly washed world was very limited. We read a few moments ago, the tops of the mountains were visible. It appears to me that the configuration of the ark kept the passengers on board from seeing the ground as long as they were in the boat. I mean, read it, it appears that they cannot see the ground until they take the cover off, which means God not only had the grace to save them in the midst of the storm, God gave them the grace to not have to see the carnage that took place as thousands of people went into eternity when the flood came. But now the boat stopped moving, there's no rain. He can't see the ground around him, so he brings one of the ravens, one of the unclean animals, and lets it go out the window. Which, and it never comes back. It said they just kept raven kind of like our crows, Soaring round and round and round, and when it find a dead carcass, it would have a feast. And the thing about ravens, crows, they don't share. They'll fight each other. You see it all the time. The crow didn't go back, and or the raven didn't go back to the boat and say, "Hey, come on, there's to the other bird." He just kept going, and feasting. Then he sent out a dove. A dove, one of the clean birds. They don't soar quite like a raven. Flapping their wings and no place to put its foot, no place to perch. So it comes back and it says that Noah stretched out his arm. The dove grabbed a hold of his finger and Noah brought back into the ark. Water everywhere. A week later sends the dove out again and this time comes back with the leaf of an olive branch. Proof. The water's are receding. The land is becoming visible again. He waits another week and sends out the dove and now this time the dove went and found a home preparing a nest for when his mate comes or her mate comes. A sign. It's going to be okay, Noah. It's going to be okay. The Lord gives us signs as well. I can't tell you how often when either Vicki or Rick picks out the worship music, that the music will align exactly with the message that I'm going to bring. And even though I'm pat- going verse by verse through the chapters, of, I never tell anybody how I'm going to, because I never know until Saturday night how I'm going to finally unfold it. They never know, but the Lord knows. It's a sign that comes often to me that this is what the Lord wants us to know today. God gives a sign. I can't tell you how many people over the years, after they have lost a loved one, will share with me some, what might to other people seem insignificant, circumstance takes place. But it was something that was special to them and that loved one, that just comes as a reassurance: it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Thank God for the signs that He gives to us. Amen. God remembered Noah. Number three, God spoke a clear word to him. He spoke a clear word to him. Verse thirteen in the six hundred years in the six hundred and first year. In the first month, in the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked. See, now he finally used to see the ground. And behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons, and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you, all flesh, birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply in the earth. So Noah went out, his sons and his wives and his sons' wives with him. One of the things I see is that Noah trusted God in the times that God was silent. He trusted God when God was silent. We don't read of God saying anything to Noah after he closed that ark for one year and ten days. All he had was the covenant God made with him. God had told him, you and your sons and daughters will come out of the ark. I do not know any believer who's been a believer for any length of time who has not had a season in their life when they felt like my prayers aren't going past the ceiling. Anybody relate? Three, the rest of you are also spiritual. I'm amazed. There are times that we live by faith, by what God said, not by what I feel. My faith is based upon the promises of God, not my emotions. Amen, Pastor. When you're not getting a fresh word, just keep doing what God told you to do until God comes and tells you to do something different. And know this, He's not forgotten you, but He's using those moments to increase your faith, to build your faith to increase your character and your trust in him. And then there will be a moment when he remembers you and comes and he moves. But in between, in between, the moments when he speaks and then he doesn't speak, be like Habakkuk. He wrote in the end of his short little book of prophecy, in verse 17 in Habakkuk 3, Though the fig tree should not blossom, no fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive oil fail, and the fields yield no, yield no fruit, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stall, and inflation is out working my income, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. He said, when the circumstance everything looks bleak around me, but you know what? I'm still going to rejoice in the Lord because God keeps his word. God keeps his promises. And it's always at the perfect time. Next note in your notes, I think. Nota waited patiently until the Lord spoke. He waited patiently. Did you notice it was the first month, the first day the waters had dried off the earth, but it was not until the 27th day of the second month that the earth had dried out and God spoke. Noah knew from the sign of the dove there's land out there to stand on, but he did not try to get off the ark even though it's been over a year. He waited for the voice of the Lord. Obedient faith is our response to God's word. Obedient faith is our response to God's word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Right fast because here's boom, boom, boom. Obeying the will of God involves, number one, doing the right thing. It involves doing the right thing not only does it involve doing the right thing, it involves doing it in the right way. Doing it in the right way. Not only doing the right thing in the right way, but for the right motive. For the right motive. And doing it in the right time. Doing the right thing in the right way for the right motive in the right time. That's what obeying the will of God involves. Because Noah walked with God in faith. He and his family were saved from the destruction of the flood. They were now responsible for the propagation of the human race. Responsible for the animal kingdom, the bird kingdom. They were saved because they obeyed God. They were saved because they put their faith in God. The only way you and I are going to be saved is by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. No one will get to heaven on their own merit. Not by works lest any man should boast. We're saved by grace. It's a matter of putting my faith in Jesus Christ. The kind of faith that says, be the Lord of my life. I will follow you by your grace to the best of my ability. There is one thing that God promises not to remember about you and me. And thank the Lord for that. It's in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. It's actually in the Old Testament he's quoting from the book of Isaiah. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities. I will remember their sins no more. That only applies to those who said, Jesus, wash me with your blood. Forgive me my sins make me a child of god by the power of your grace and in those moments i become a new creature i'm set free from the shame of, and the guilt of my past i'm set free from those moments that i trip and fear, fall spiritually by giving in to temptation god will be merciful can you say with confidence this morning my chains are gone i've been set free Jesus Christ has forgiven me. God remembered Noah. That means at the right time and the best possible way, God moved in his behalf. What I want you to take away today is put your name there where Noah's name is the right time, the best possible way, God is going to move in your behalf. God will move in my behalf. Keep praying. Keep the faith. Keep your eyes on Jesus instead of the circumstances. I know they're real, but He's greater than any circumstance that you and I are in. I want to end the message. We're going to sing a song in a moment, but I want you to stand. Take a deep breath. And I want you to read aloud with me. Romans 8, 31 and 39. This is especially for those of us today who are in one of those times God, where are you? Why me? Why now? What are you going to do? Where have you got So altogether, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Next verse, please. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? I'm not hearing anybody. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. No. in Christ Jesus our Lord. And everybody said, amen. Father, so thankful for your goodness. So thankful for your grace. Thank you, Father, for the promise God remembers. And you keep your word. All the promises of the Scripture are yea and amen. To for those of us who believe. You did say to us that we would endure difficult days in this world. There'll be trials, there'll be troubles. Ones that you've allowed, ones we create by our own foolish decisions. But Lord, you have the ability and you made the promise that you will cause all things to work together for our good that you have a plan and a purpose. And Lord, my prayer today is for those that are in one of those dark days, one of those life storms. And they've been wondering, have I ticked God off? Has he forgotten me? Lord, I pray that today they would hear the words of the psalmist. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. May they hear the promise surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Lord, I pray in this moment that hearts would be lifted will be lifted not because the circumstances have suddenly changed but because there's this awareness he's with me he sees my name it's written on his hand he's not forgotten me but in his time and in his way he's going to bring about something perfect for me for my family and for my house thank you Jesus Thank you, Jesus. I pray that word would be sealed in the hearts of those struggling today. That we go from this house encouraged. Thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness. You never change. The same yesterday, today, and forever. You're not a man that you should lie. The son of man that you should repent. Have you not said it? It will not come to pass. Your word will not return void. Lord, may those promises echo in our hearts and our minds today.